Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, we're talking about turning ocean science, that's oceanography, into citizen science. We're talking about making the data, the finding of researchers, not only transparent and more accessible, but actually easy for you to do. The Ocean River Institute makes it easy for individuals, families, and friends to collect meaningful information about places they care about. One of my not-so-secret agenda items is to create opportunities where us dads can look good in the outdoors. So... More than doing science, today's episode is about getting to know a chosen place, what is happening to and what the natural rhythms are in that place. Like the annually held Christmas bird counts, the data gathered is meaningful to you and to all who cherish that place or those animals. Now, there's an exhilaration in the process of getting to know the place. There's a thrill and a sense of fellowship in sharing discoveries with others. And often it is only when locals see something going awry, as in Detroit, where the drinking water once, you know, that was once a bad situation that locals found out there. Um, it's only then that when the locals bring it out to the, to the researchers and scientists and other authorities become interested. However, these, you know, scientists and, re- and, and authorities are likely to be unresponsive. They, they tend to be clinging to the status quo, and unless you are very persistent in, try, in bringing the information to their attention, it's difficult to get their attention. So the Ocean River Institute here, we listen locally, and then we raise a cacophony of voices nationally. So listen in today, and I promise you maximum time discovering and sharing in the outdoors, and minimum time in using the, after using these tools and getting others to follow you, uh, because ORI, we've got your back and we've got your interest foremost. So my guests today are Don Blair, a physicist. Don was recently a research affiliate at the Center for Civic Media at the MIT Media Lab. He just opened a research lab at Artists... No, the, how do you say that, Don? The oh. Artists <laughs> Asylum? Uh, Artisans Asylum. It's kind of a crazy name. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say you're at an asylum, but you can say that. Uh, <laughs> and it's both... <laughs> It's located in Somerville, and is um, and so Don is teaming up with the Ocean River Institute to deploy some remarkable monitoring instruments that he's created. Welcome, Don. Hello. Thank you very much. Kyle Newman is a Ph.D. student in marine science at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Welcome, Kyle. Uh, thanks for having me. And Kyle, you're calling from the West Coast? Uh, yeah, that's, that's correct. I'm calling from Santa Barbara right now, from the University of California, uh, Santa Barbara campus. Well, it's December in Somerville. It's not so hot out here, so we'll try not to envy you too much over there. Sunny oh, there's not, there's not too much to envy over here. Um, you may have heard of the pretty uh, massive wildfires that are burning in Southern California right now. Um, those fires are burning just about five miles from where I am at the moment, so... It's, Five um, miles. The, Are you smothered in smoke? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's really smoky here. Um, 
I mean, the, the, the sunlight is, has this really apocalyptic orange tint to it. Um, and in fact, I'm calling from a room in the library right now because my, uh, my lab is pretty much inhabitable with smoke right now. Holy smokes. I don't mean the, the pun, but my goodness. All right. <laughs> I don't envy you at all. I'm happy to be over here on the, on the other coast, on the left shore here. Um, yeah, so this I'm, I'm, I'm missing cold weather in winter quite a bit right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too high. I <laughs> mean, the yeah. nearby. Holy, yeah. Um, the wow. episode, uh, this episode of Moyers Environmental Dialogues, we're going to be in three parts. First up, Don and Kyle will talk about working together on a remotely operated submersible dive off of British Columbia. Second, Kyle will talk about his research on coral reefs impacted by runoff from an island in French Polynesia. And then third, Don and I will talk about deploying Don's latest instruments to document the underwater oceanography of both Boston Harbor, the islands there, and also way out 140 miles southeast of Nantucket in the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument. And that's where the sperm whales live all year round. So we're going to be talking some, some whale ecology and, and their place of habitation near the end of the show. So let's begin with Don. Don, what instruments aquatic were you working at, on at the MIT Media Lab? Uh, right. So uh, when I w- uh, first landed at the Media Lab, I was also working with a nonprofit called Public Lab, um, and the focus there was on building uh, open source accessible environmental instrumentation uh, for for communities to use to monitor aspects of their environment. Yeah, it, mm. specifically they were interested in pollution, and my focus was on uh, water monitoring. Um, and I didn't know much at all about water monitoring at the time, but uh, I had spoken with some hydrologists who were characterizing the current instrumentation available uh, to communities and to scientists as uh, sort of more, more expensive and more proprietary than it needed to be. You know, the, the data format and uh, even the data format would be proprietary. So you'd need special software that itself was expensive uh, to get the data off the instruments. And since in my physics program, I had been playing around with uh, sort of hobby electronics that people were increasingly incorporating into the instrumentation in the laboratory. It seemed like there was the opportunity to maybe build some instrumentation that was easier for people to modify and share and, um, and, and try to accomplish some of the same uh, tasks and uh, um, the same applications as as the instrumentation that we're seeking to to uh, supplement and replace. So that that was sort of the focus initially at the media lab there. And and so, what are some of the instruments you've come up with? Well, uh, in talking with these hydrologists. Um, you know, there's a whole range of water quality parameters that, that are uh, interesting and useful. Um, but the, the ones that seemed like we would actually be able to accomplish as, as we were just starting out, you know, temperature is a very, a very useful parameter, and that's something that's 
fairly straightforward to do. And then uh, conductivity uh, has been a goal as well. And that's, that's sort of a, a kind of more broadband um, measurement, uh, water quality measurement that, that doesn't tend to tell you any, uh, something specific about what's, what's in the water, but the extent to which things are uh, dissolved in the water, um, in a sense. Um, and that's and it, it is a parameter that that is uh, widely used and in in context can be in, interpreted um, you know to useful effect. So those were the those are the main goals those and depth and um, and so we were, we were working on that early on in the in the nonprofit and the initial applications um, that we were focused on. We're, we're actually in New England around uh, assessing the impact of road salt on the local ecosystem um, hmm. and uh, combined sewer overflow events. Uh, we were going to try to set up uh, some depth sensors um, outside these um, uh, sewer overflow locations to see when those events occurred so that um, the local watershed management organization could zoom out there and take some water samples and see to what extent uh, sort of bacteria might be contaminating the local uh, uh, watershed there. Those were the initial ideas. Excellent. Now, um, I was uh, at sea doing oceanography in 1980, and that's about the time they introduced the name conductivity because prior to that, we were putting instruments into the water, like a bathythermograph, or, um, uh, or we were titrating the salinity. So it was very, and then YSI had ways of measuring salinity. But uh, conductivity became the way to measure sal- uh, salinity because you could put electrical wires into the water on a you know, conductivity depth uh, temperature machine, a CDT and stuff. So now everyone talks about, in my day, it was all about salinity and uh, density of the water, and now it's the shorthand is conductivity. So that's, that's really interesting, but it enables, you know, engineers like, and physicists like you to come up with these nifty things you've got. And so when you were looking at the bacteria coming out of the water, well, I guess I'm getting ahead of it, because this is also kind of work that, um, that Kyle is doing. So um, how did you meet... Oh, or, or Kyle, how did you meet Don, and how did you guys end up together on a boat at, out on the Pacific Ocean there? <laughs> yeah, um, I met Don. I was working as an engineer uh, aboard the exploration vessel Nautilus. Um, uh, I've been working as an engineer for them for the last four years. And uh, so I, I was sailing uh, on on an expedition, and uh, Don happened to be one of the scientists on board. Um, and I remember he showed up and had this big bag of trips, basically, where he <laughs> said, hey, I've got all this cool stuff on board. You, does anybody know anything that we could build with it while, uh, <laughs> while we're sailing? And so... Uh, I, I was really interested in that because I've I've have a background in in robotics and uh, in underwater uh, camera systems, um, having built some small remotely operated submersibles and, and camera systems 
uh, in the past. So I was like, this sounds great. It sounds like a, a whole lot of fun. So a group of us got together and we, we sort of opened up this magical hey, hey, Kyle, bag that, that Don had brought. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me interrupt for a second because um, most people don't understand what the Nautilus is, that this is Bob Ballard's um, research vessel, right? That um, yes, that's, famous, that's Bob yeah. Ballard's famous for finding the um, the Titanic with the submersible, and now that he has this ship, the Nautilus, which is kept at the Alta Sea uh, campus down in Long Beach, California, and um, I had the fortune of a visiting the, the vessel there, but also uh, there's an environment, environmental dialogues uh, episode where I talked to uh, Julie Caruso and Sandra Whitehouse about the Alta Sea program, and they include descriptions of the Nautilus um, with um, Sandra Whitehouse as a esteemed marine biologist, and she was able to uh, take us into some of the science. So I'm just putting it out there. If your listeners are interested, uh, if you scroll back in the uh, environment, Moyers Environmental Dialogue podcast, if you, you'll, you'll come to... Um, Alta Sea, which is a fabulous program. It's so cool that the legacy of, of Ballard having these remote operating uh, vehicles underwater continues is alive and well, and that Kyle's an engineer who's been engineering stuff for them for years, and now you've got the combo of, um, uh, of Kyle and Don together with their Don with his bag <laughs> parts and stuff. Okay, so Kyle, let me go ahead and pick up the story from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, I I'll say that um, if people are are interested in in what the Nautilus does, the mission of of the exploration vessel Nautilus, um, they can go to the website nautiluslive.org, and that is a site where if the the ship is currently in port um, for the for the winter, but it is in Alta Sea at the moment actually for the winter, but. Um, that uh, during our season when we're out exploring, we have uh, these two remotely operated vehicles that we can send down to 4,000 meters and explore deep parts of the ocean that hasn't been explored before. And uh, while we're at sea, uh, we're streaming the video from those vehicles live uh, via satellite um, over YouTube streaming for free to anybody to watch. So... Uh, if people go to nautiluslive.org, they can see highlight videos from our our past seasons. And uh, during the season, they can also watch live videos being streamed from the bottom of the ocean. And also, can they see archival footage of past voyages? Yes, there's archival footage um, that is, has been edited into some really nice short clips. Um, and that has all the fascinating marine life that we saw and, and the various exploration that, that the ship has done. The ship, uh, Bob Ballard took over the sh- operations of the ship in the Mediterranean and started turning, turned it into a research vessel there and then has, the ship has sailed out of the Mediterranean across the Atlantic into the Caribbean, the Gulf of Mexico, through the Panama Canal, out to the Galapagos, and then up the west coast of the United States, and is now is um, home is at Alta Sea in, in Los Angeles. But we're doing exploration in the Pacific um, for the next few years. So there's highlight videos from all of those expeditions 
um, on that website. Yeah, it used to belong to a Greek shipping magnet or something, and I think you guys have the nicest dining room of any boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. Uh, it was the boat was originally a, a West, no, it was an East German uh, Navy vessel, and then through various stages of its life has has made its way. It has a, found new life as a as uh, an ocean exploration vessel. It's pretty cool. Fascinating. So, Don, what did you um, put together on the um, when you're out cruising on the Nautilus? Uh, I can attest to the fact that the food is fantastic. By the way, um, <laughs> they, they, they have these amazing uh, Ukrainian chefs that live on the ship and produce amazing food. I was really excited uh, to to connect with Kyle um, because, as he said, I did just have this jumble of electronics with me and I didn't know much at all about oceanography or how we would get any useful instrumentation out into the water. And when I was working at that nonprofit, the trick that we were going to use in that context was to put the open source electronics inside used water bottles because that seemed like a cheap waterproof container that we could put electronics in. And I somehow assumed when I was on the ship that it would be full of used water bottles, as it seems every other place on the planet is. But it turned out that there weren't any. And so I was at a loss as to what to put the electronics in if we were going to put it overboard. And furthermore, if we're going to put it on this robot that goes down a thousand meters, you have additional considerations around the uh, intense pressure at that level. So I, I really didn't have a clue as to, as to how we could make something useful that would go on this uh, ROV that went to that depth. And that, that seemed like a fun goal. Uh, so I just had the data logger uh, that, I was, that I happened to be using and a temperature sensor. And I, I showed that to Kyle and uh, I believe Kyle to... Um, Ethan Gold, who was also uh, on board of the ship. And uh, Kyle, can you describe your thought process around uh, how we could get that uh, electronics in the water and have it survive? Sure. I have to interrupt um, for a second. Kyle, okay. I have to interrupt you for a second because we've got to take a short break for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back, and Kyle Newman's going to tell us more about this instrument that's being deployed deep into the Pacific Ocean. Thanks. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. We're talking about offshore oceanography and measuring temperature with depth on board Robert Ballard's ship, the Nautilus. And um, Kyle and Don are off the coast of British Columbia. And uh, but while I'm thinking of it, um, Don, if people want to know, you know, we're not going to cover everything as deep as I'd like to in this broadcast. So if people want to get in touch with you, have further questions, how can they do that? Oh, yeah, great. Um, so uh, they could just email me at uh, Don Blair, uh, B-L-A-I-R, at uh, pvos.org. That's sort of P, P as in Paul, V as in Victor, O as in um, orangutan, and uh, O as in C, <laughs> like an ocean or something. Yeah, O is an ocean. That's even better. <laughs> okay, Don, give it to us one more time. What's the email address? <laughs> Don Blair at pvos.org, pvos.org. Thanks. And, and Kyle, um, if people want to reach out to you? Uh, yeah, likewise, they can email me uh, at kyle.newman, and my last name is spelled N-E-U-M-A-N-N. So kyle.newman at lifesci.ucsd.edu. That's like at life science, but shortened, uh, dot UCSB for UC Santa Barbara dot EDU. Excellent. So there you are off the coast of British Columbia on board the Nautilus. And, um, fortunately, Captain Nemo's not around. And, and, um, <laughs> so, so Don puts out this circuitry and circuit boards onto that wonderful galley table there. 
And um, uh, Kyle, pick up the story from there. Yeah, so we're all sitting around and we have this, you know, really cool little circuit board that Don had built. Um, we were all really interested in it, uh, myself and Ethan Gold, one of the data engineers, and, and a couple other people, because ocean instrumentation is very, very expensive. Um, the One of the ROVs that we use, uh, remotely operated submersibles that we use, uh, Hercules, has a temperature and depth, um, well, has a conductivity temperature and depth uh, piece of equipment to, to measure those things as the vehicle is moving around. And that piece of equipment probably costs in the neighborhood of fifteen to $20,000. So for us yeah, to it's see... it's like the Rosetta round thing. It's like five feet in diameter and stuff. Correct. Yeah, we just have the, uh, the sensors on, uh, mounted on the vehicle and... Um, oh, right and connected in so it's giving us live data about, about the environment as we're swimming around. Um, but so BDPs are not inexpensive. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, very expensive pieces of equipment. So we're really excited about the idea of something, you know, for a few dollars that could maybe uh, do something similar as this very expensive piece of equipment that we have. So the problem we had was trying to get it underwater. Um, and one thing that we do on, on the ROV in order to waterproof electronics that we want to be able to easily open up again, because um, at 4,000 meters, the pressure is, in, is immense. So we fill all of the electronics bottles with mineral oil. Mineral oil is non-conductive, so it does not conduct electricity. So you can submerge electronics in mineral oil, and it doesn't damage them at all. Um, and we pressurize those bottles to the surrounding seawater pressure so that the, there's no pressure differential on either side of the bottle. So the bottle isn't going to implode at depth. So we're sitting around and trying to figure out how we're going to put these, uh, these cool instruments that Don and built underwater. And sitting right in front of us on the mess table is a mostly empty honey bear container, you know, like you buy at the store a little bear full of honey. So we, we all kind of looked at it and looked at each other and we're like, maybe we could send this honey bear to a thousand meters. So we quickly ate the rest of the honey out of it and cleaned it out. Um, and we, the, the electronics just perfectly fit inside this honey bear. And then, um, we filled the bear with mineral oil and in order to, to pressurize it to the outside world, we stretched a glove over the top of the opening of the honey bear and then put the cap on. So as the, the bear went down, the glove would sort of transmit the pressure, the seawater pressure, to the mineral oil, and everything would stay um, equal pressure inside and out the, outside of the container. So and we were, it, like, we we were pretty two. certain it was going to fail spectacularly. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> Right, um, but they put on the, um, strapped it on outside there. Yeah, we strapped it to the front, what we call the front porch of the ROV, where we, we strap other pieces of equipment that we want to take down with us. And uh, we had a camera pointed at it so we could keep an eye on it. And we sent that honey bear to 1,000 meters, and um, it worked great. In fact, 
um, I was just out on the ship again about a month ago and posted up in the data lab is the honey bear data compared to this many thousand dollar piece of equipment, uh, the data from that piece of equipment, and the data is, is remarkably similar. I mean, it's, it's very, it matches very well. Congratulations. So, Don, what was it like for you when you were in the back of the lab seeing the bear on the, in the video there and stuff? Or when it was diving? It was beautiful. Uh, on the Nautilus, they have a, uh, a sort of shipping container that's on board the ship that is full of all of the electronics that they use to monitor the status of the ship and they have uh, of the ROV, and they have these big screen TVs that are showing the live video feed. And so as the ROV was diving, in the lower left-hand corner of this enormous screen, which was being broadcast live to everyone, was the little honey bear. And uh, it looked like it was surviving, um, but we had we had put a little LED on it to indicate that the power was still on and it was still operational. And uh, we couldn't I couldn't see the LED because the lights were so bright. So at some point, I asked if we could turn off the porch lights to see if it was still operational. So I asked over the headset. You know, I'm a little nervous because I'm new. I just sort of like special request, could we turn off the lights briefly? And they very nicely accommodated us. And, uh, and then because the honey bear is transparent, you could see this red LED that was kind of located behind one of the honey bear's eyes accidentally uh, glowing brightly. So we knew that it was still working and it looked like this little Terminator honey bear that was there underwater. <laughs> And uh, there is a live chat that's happening where people who are seeing this online are able to ask questions and interact. And there were suddenly a ton of questions online about, you know, what the heck is this little bear doing underwater? So it, it, was, a, it was beautiful. It, it, people were really supportive, and, and it was a lot of fun. And it was really neat to, to get uh, pretty good data, um, you know, when it, when it came back. Folks were impressed, as Kyle said. So it was a great moment. What kind of people were following online? Was it just fellow researchers? Uh, Kyle, you, you maybe know better as to who's out there, but my impression was that there were a bunch of high school students that were connected, and, and I think there are other scientists that are also chiming in. Uh, part of the mission is exploration. So as uh, new things are observed, um, it, it's kind of a neat process that they have where they can farm out these questions to experts that are uh, on land that are watching the live stream who can collectively have more expertise than, than anyone on board the ship. And they can sort of say, oh, that was a really neat thing that you just saw on camera. Can you, can you, uh, you know, look more closely at that? Is that, that sort of how it goes, Kyle? Yeah, that's, that's correct. We, we have, uh, we have sort of two, live streaming mode. So one is being broadcast to the internet for anyone to watch. And we regularly have people tuning in from all over the world, including landlocked nations or the middle of the United States. Um, we have schools that tune in and, you know, we'll regularly get questions from, you know, Silky age six and, and things like that. Because there is a chat box where people can be writing in questions to us. Um, just the general public can be writing in questions to us that we then answer online 
uh, as we're going about these dives. So our, our audio feed from our headsets, the way that we communicate with each other, is also being broadcast live over the Internet. So people can ask us questions and we can respond to them. Then we have another mode where it's going directly to scientists on shore that may have expertise in certain areas. So if we come across something we don't really know, because ship space is very limited, but it really opens us up to the experts all over the world. So if we see a type of sponge we don't quite know about, we can call up a sponge expert and say, hey, tune in right now, look at this sponge, tell us what you think about it. So we had this nice mix of scientists and the general public tuning in uh, that day. Well, now you seem to have a very famous honey bear that's pretty well known. <laughs> all the most. Yeah, yeah. It even made its way into, uh, into Oceanography magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the centerfold, eh? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> so this is very exciting, what, what you two uh, told me about, and it ties into... Uh, uh, issue that we're trying to address here at the Ocean River Institute. And I had, at the beginning of the show, said that um, we were going to spend some time with Kyle explaining his Ph.D. research work in the French Polynesian Islands. But we're running so close on time that uh, I'm going to ask uh, Kyle to hold off and maybe we'll reschedule a meeting just to focus on his uh, nutrient and sediment runoff work uh, because um, that work overlaps with some interests that we have elsewhere at the Ocean River Institute, um, if that's okay, Kyle. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I mean, I, and I can tune in and talk a little bit uh, in, in your con- continuing conversation with Don, because Don and I are working together on, on building some instruments that I will be deploying in Morea. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, let's hear about as, that. Sure, as go part ahead. Of my, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to reschedule and talk about more, you know, coral reef-specific issues and, and runoff and the details of that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a huge issue. I want to spend some quality time. But, but yeah, follow sure. the thread with Don's instrumentation stuff. It's good. Uh, so tell me about Don's instruments that you're using. Kyle. We should say Kyle's instruments that Don is helping with. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, I, I think it's, it's been a real team effort. So since that, that cruise on the, on the Nautilus, uh, Don and I stayed in communication and talked back and forth about, um, about this real problem that we both see in uh, oceanographic and freshwater instrumentation in that it is extremely expensive and, um, and very proprietary and, and really that puts it outside of the, the accessibility of most, even most researchers, not to, not to mention citizen science groups and, um, and uh, nonprofits, NGOs, groups that are really interested um, in, in keeping track of what's going on in their local environment. These pieces of equipment are just really far outside their... Um, accessibility in terms of their their price, but also I think that they are made in a way that is needlessly complex. So it makes it really difficult for people to engage with them. So Don and I have been talking a lot about how we can reduce um, those barriers to accessibility for these these instruments and really get them in the hands of the people that that it, 
uh, it would re- it would make the most difference for. And so my work in French Polynesia, um, the people that are being really affected by water quality are fishermen and the islanders that are living on, on these islands. And so we're we're Don and I are working together to build some instruments that we can deploy there with those people to to give them the data and give them the power to make decisions uh, in their own environment. Yeah, this is very exciting because, you know, it's the instruments are so expensive, but the science isn't getting done unless, you know, the monitoring and recording isn't getting done unless it totally overlaps with a researcher's, you know, question that they're researching. So absolutely, this is very exciting that you guys are coming up with, you know, ways to get uh, the, the recording and monitoring of, of ocean data, uh, water data, uh, accessible to, you know, small governments, municipalities, and nonprofits, and, and through them, you know, out to, to citizens. Because at the end of the day, it's the people who are part of that resource who are using it and enjoying it that are the ones that care, and they're the ones who are going to be watching the place to see if it's changing. And it's only when things go awry that you um, need to bring in the, the experts about what's happening. But the day-to-day, the mundane, is, is it's, it's the locals that are going to be interested in that, and it's the people like you guys. And stuff. Um, Don, is it, um, and so are you, are you finding um, it helpful to... Uh, measure, not Don, Kyle, are you finding it helpful for measuring uh, nutrients? Uh, yeah. Um, so Don and I, our, our first steps are to build a, uh, a CTD um, or in, in various forms. So uh, sort of expa- expanding on the honey bear and adding connectivity to it, as Don mentioned in the, in the beginning of, of this show. Uh, because that in- instrument itself is very useful in a lot of different contexts for telling us how water is moving, where it's going. Uh, you can tell a lot. Uh, each parcel of water has its own conductivity signature or its own salinity signature. And so by tracking salinity, you can, you can track these parcels of water and it can help you figure out where those things are coming from. Um, for now, I'm using uh, very precise lab-based methods for studying nutrients, but I would love to expand this open source, open architecture uh, approach to studying nutrients as well. Yes, that's, yeah, that's great because things are getting accessible to the locals and stuff. Well done. Exactly. Uh, we're at, it's time once again for another short break. And uh, then I'll return with my guests, Kyle Newman and Don Blair, after this break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking with Don Blair, recently a research affiliate at MIT Media Lab and with Kyle Newman, a Ph.D. student in marine science at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And Kyle has been working as an engineer on this Robert Ballard ship in, uh, Nautilus, and we've been talking about their diving honey bear that has been taking temperature with depth all the way down and all the way back up again. Uh, I'd like to bring you home to the Ocean River Institute. Um, and if you'd like to follow along with visuals, including maps, about what we're talking about, um, visit www.oceanriver.org. And scrolling down on that homepage, you'll see that there are six top causes that we are currently working on. And for this discussion, look for the image of a fulmar flying over a very big, windy wave and the words, Guardians of a Wondrous Ocean Place. Click on that, and you'll be at our... Deep Sea Canyon Ranger site. Um, 
And this is where we are monitoring and educating and protecting the Marine National Monument uh, in five different ways. It's like a friends group. The uh, members are coming together uh, around uh, helping the Northeast Canyons seamounts and uh, Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument, which is located about 140 miles southeast of Nantucket. So what what we're doing there is we have seamount guardians to defend the seamounts from the solar cell industry's stated interest in mountaintop removal of mineral mining with remotely operated submersibles. They want to remove that ferromanganese crust for tellurium because plundering next to the world's greatest fishery is more profitable than buying tellurium that's been mined in China. A second thing we're doing is savvy folks monitor and block the permitting of oil and gas leasing requested by many big oil companies to explore and drill Lydonia Canyon, which is one of the three canyons in the Marine National Monument. Third, canyon rangers work with the fishing industry to prevent fixed gear entanglements, midwater trawling bycatch, overfishing of forage fish, particularly squid, mackerel, and whiting, which is what they're taking out in those deep waters, and destruction of ancient deep water, cold water corals. Occasionally those midwater trawls dip down and can take out a chunk of a 4,300-year-old coral, and that's not good. Uh, Citizen scientists remotely monitor the surfacing and presence of whales in relation to ship traffic. Uh, you can see on our site a video of where I explain I've been out there uh, on a whale watch, to see, and the first sperm whale we found was dead floating in the water from a ship strike. So we went on to see two more, but one out of three sperm whales a day dead from ship strikes is not good for, for, the, for anything. Um, so we're, we're setting up monitoring so that we can require ships to slow to 10 knots with attentive lookouts in the presence of whales, or... Just don't go through the marine monument. You know, it's way offshore. You can reroute yourselves and stuff. Uh, and finally, citizen oceanographers are monitoring or preparing to, we're getting set to monitor the Atlantic Ocean's absorption of heat from global warming. And that's indicated by the increasing volume of the shelf water, which lies below the surface waters. And um, as the, as the uh, ocean absorbs heat, it's going to, you're going to see a decreasing in the volume of the surface water and a moving up of the uh, shelf water. And so I was out looking for some way to measure where does the water change from surface to um, shelf water? Where is that thermocline? And, um, you know, do we have to deploy this big, expensive uh, CDTs when, lo and behold, Don comes along with... Um, diving honey duck here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, so, um, so this is really exciting. So I guess, Don, how do we, um, well, I don't know. I wanted to have you have some, do some talking here. So <laughs> what do you take from there? <laughs> well, it's funny uh, because I, I remember um, recently uh, the studio that, I, that, I'm, that I'm also sharing with some artist uh, friends in East Boston had an open house and the building is full of artists. And I was the only person who was focused on, you know, water monitoring. And 
my next step, I thought, was going to be to put one of the prototypes that uh, Kyle had um, actually built out at UCSB out in the water. And it's this sort of beautifully constructed uh, piece of uh, PVC that is nicely waterproof and has the sensor in it. And it would be a, a good instrument for exactly the application that you described. Uh, but a friend who was present said, look, you're in a building full of artists and uh, you might want to do something more creative than just put PVC out in the water. And anyway, it might look like a bomb or something scary. Why don't you use a rubber ducky? And uh, I think I, I had that in mind, um, that recent story, when I, when I came to visit you uh, at the Ocean River Institute headquarters and was surprised to find out that you'd already explored the rubber ducky uh, in- engagement technology option. Yes, you walked into an office full of rubber duckies. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and decoys so, and other ducks and stuff. Yes. So, um, right. yeah, we were, I was very excited that um, we could find a big enough duck or better yet a decoy. I figured that uh, if the decoy's floating out there, people are less likely to mess with it because it's sort of like lobster pots where they're decoys, there might be hunters. And so that might help. With them. <laughs> yes, and or it really, might really... fall in wild ducks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, it, it really does seem like a great, a great idea to make uh, an engaging enclosure for an instrument that could be useful for uh, science, but um, in the citizen science mode uh, where, where you're trying to engage folks. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited about the idea of uh, translating the, the honey bear uh, concept uh, to include now the, 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 the CTD duck concept. It's very exciting. Yeah, and it's exciting because you're creating something that is accessible. You know, we can get this worked out it's not going to cost, cost much more than a Secchi disc. And a Secchi disc is this white, uh, black and white disc that you lower down the water, and, and when it disappears, it tells you how much transparency or clarity um, or, um, or sedimentation and um, stuff is in the water. So it's a very simple uh, instrument, and it enables local people to check out their own environment for water clarity without having to get an expensive uh, salinity or oxygen meter or something. And so this is very exciting because we could have um, attached to right above the Secchi disc um, uh, this, this um, what I call a bathy thermoduct, remembering the bathy thermograph that uh, Atherton Spillhouse invented to find the break in the water between the Atlantic Ocean water flowing into the Mediterranean and the Mediterranean salty seawater coming out. Uh, they needed to know during World War II which water mass, where the water mass has changed because the submarines would hide out in there and float in or out. And so to set the depth chargers off on the right, at the right water body, they needed they invented this bathys thermograph to tell you um, where the water body was different, and that was because it was a different temperature, so we just measured temperature with depth. So you've come up with, um, you guys have come up with this wonderful application that uh, we can make accessible for, um, for citizens uh, who want to, um, so the idea is that we'll go into Boston Harbor and deploy these, and deploy um, 
one of your bathy thermoducts, you know, and lower it down to find out where is the salt water intruding in, where is the fresh water from the rivers leaving, you know, what is the underwater mix of these different water bodies uh, in, in um, Boston Harbor, which is easy to do before the, you know, until May, we can do it off of bridges and then, um, you know, once I get my boat up in, in May, we can, you know, go up further off in the passageways and stuff. Uh, and similarly, we can then field test it all so that when you do the three-day trip and back to uh, the northeast canyons and seamounts, uh, Marine National Monument, we'll have a working duck that um, is pretty good about um, telling us where the, the water masses are changing. And what's an interesting question is that out in these canyons on the continental shelf there, um, you've got Georgia's banks, and then you've got these canyons incised into the outside continental shelf edge, and they plunge down 10,000 feet. And this is where, in the canyons, is where the sperm whales like to live year-round. They've got the squid there and whatever else they eat. Um, and the question is, is to what extent is that the deep diving of the sperm whales, they, they dive very deep, 10 to 24 times a day, and in the process, are they causing a mixing of the layer cake of water bodies? Uh, and if so, that would, should speed up the ocean's ability to absorb heat from the atmosphere uh, because it isn't all stratified. And that could, the whales could be contributing to lessening the harmful effects of uh, global warming, of the temperatures rising because of excessive carbon in the atmosphere. And um, these little bathythermal ducts might give us insights into that. Um, and, and so, therefore, we, we're launching this uh, Deep Sea Canyon Ranger Seamount Guardians program and uh, if you're interested in joining the program, all you need to do is go to www.oceanriver.org and sign up for one of our e-alerts. Uh, it's up in the upper right corner. Uh, and also, um, we urge you to, to join and be a, a, a Seamount Guardian. Um, uh, this month, uh, if you give $2, uh, we have a donor who's matching us, so it's an $8 gift. Um, so think about, you know, $2 a month for uh, saving the ocean. Not too bad. Um, but, but, Don, it's been great talking with you about these, um, working with you and developing uh, and hoping to develop this uh, new thermal duck. Oh, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about, about the project. It's, it, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, it looks like it's going to have a, a big impact. So thank you. And. And Kyle, um, thank you. Um, I look forward to um, talking more with you about your research in French Polynesia, about you know what you're finding in terms of the different. Because what you're looking at is you're going around the shoreline and seeing um, how the nutrient and sediment coming off the land changes. And from that data, I, I understand you're going to be coming up with recommendations, you're not there yet, but eventually you'll be getting to where you can help inform the people on the land how to um, better treat the, um, how to reduce their, their damaging of the coral reefs. Yeah, that, that's correct. 
So thank nice. you for telling us. a really nice summary of my research. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for the, the, you know, thank you for explaining your diving with the Nautilus and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it. And thank you, Don Blair. I'll be seeing you in your research lab across the railroad tracks of the Pittsburgh line for my home in Somerville. So I look forward to uh, seeing your ducks come together there. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be really fun to have you visit. And you, you, can say you. That, you can maybe say that he's getting his ducks in a row over there. Oh, yeah. It depends <laughs> how they lower down. If they go down together, it's all set. But uh, we have to string them out first or something. Okay, we're really out of time. We've got to end this show before I get yanked off for going off the deep end here. Uh, thank you all, listeners, for another hour spent dialoguing for a cleaner planet. Please take care of yourselves and then continue to care, take care of our planet. Every bit helps. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Stop me.